welcome everyone. So welcome Maharaj, Ashram Maharaj, Kejaya. So tonight we uh, come to the 14th verse, excuse me, 8th verse of the 14th chapter. And uh, last night we finished a section um, of Brahma's prayers uh, dealing with uh, bhakti, largely, right? And um, comparing that, if you will, to uh, the paths of Gyan and Yoga, and um, how Bhakti, by contrast, affords the understanding that Brahma is arriving at as to the nature of Krishna's form and pastimes, whereas Gyan and, and um, Yoga, under themselves and even mixed with Bhakti, uh, don't to the same extent. And um, And so tonight we come to a verse that uh, is kind of a segue into the next section, a, lo- a longer uh, section, in which uh, Brahma establishes uh, very directly um, and uh, in a complex way uh, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, this uh, central point of uh, tattva or philosophy, that Krishna is the fountainhead of different all forms of divinity. Um, but tonight, he is, our, our verse is a famous verse, as I mentioned last night. Many of you be familiar with it. Um, and it's a verse about, well, it kind of follows the section that we just went through, which is about bhakti, Again, in contrast to Gyan and Karma, and Gyan and Karma have a certain way of, excuse me, Gyan and Yoga have a certain way of dealing with the world, if you will, and the way in which the Bhaktas do here is described. Hmm. So there's an advocacy of Bhakti, and here's kind of how to practically execute it in in heart, in a central uh, uh, sense, central and essential sense. So, Tate Nukampam. With no further ado, Suksamishama Bunjani Vatmakritam Vibakam, Ridvagbapu Bhiridam Namaste, Jivetayu Mukti Pade Sadayabak. Therefore, so it's a kind of a afterthought, if you will. Having said all that and ended that section, therefore Tate Nukampam Tate Tata therefore Teanukampanam your uh, compassion, hmm? your kindness, your 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 grace, which again we remember in the uh, second verse he established was really the central reason as to why he could understand the uh, uh, form of of Krishna, and um, he was really feeling it in light of the fact that he was aware, made aware by what majesty that Krishna displayed that he had made some offense and the implication is despite that still um, he was able to understand so he was actually a, a, Brahma was actually a devotee this is a devotee Brahma as you may recall we discussed there are different types of Brahmas who retain the position of Brahmas 
through gyan, through karma, or in the context of being a devotee, Gopakumar being a good example, and Brihad Bhagavatamrita of a Brahma, of a devotee who became a Brahma for a while, and so forth. So they'll have different results. That's why there are different results described in the Gita. It says even everybody in Brahman and all fall down and take birth again. In the Bhagavatam it says Brahma gets liberated. So the implication is that there are different types of, of Brahmas. Hmm. This is a devotee Brahma. So, um, so he's properly situated, if you will. He made offense, mistake, but still just uh, the compassionate nature of Krishna is especially uh, displayed or exercised uh, in relation to his devotees. Krishna, of course, lives within the, the ambit, orbit, uh, ambit, uh, of uh, his Rup Shakti, his own internal energy doesn't go outside of that. So as others come within that, then they have opportunity to interface with him and feel his compassionate nature. Otherwise, it's thought, of course, that that compassion is extended to those who are not within that orbit through those who he has shown his compassion to, his devotees, who are the manifestations of his Kripa Shakti or his his power of mercy and compassion. So anyway, his compassion is highlighted here by Brahma Tate Nukampam. Um, he says, um, um, you're very compassionate, uh, this is your nature, and susamikshamana um, bhunjana eva. The position of your devotees is that they are submissive to you and they earnestly uh, aspire to uh, please you and the acts atmakritam vipakam um, that they have um, performed in the past that creates the very problem of material existence that we call karma that the jnanis try to deal with that the bhaktas, the devotees try to deal with uh, if, you, if you resolve the problem of karma then that's mukti. Hmm. That's the basic idea, right? That's the bonding, the binding force. Karma. You can't have a material world without karma. That's why it said karma is a nadi, because we know the world is without beginning. It begins and ends, begins and ends, and there's no beginning to that cycle. So if the world is without world cycles, plural, are without beginning, then Karma has no beginning. That's an interesting concept, of course, we've talked about from time to time. <clears throat> so, karma's the problem. It's the glue, if you will, that binds the atma, the self, which is a different shakti or power of Bhagavan, to the material world, which is a different, another shakti, the jiva shakti and the maya shakti. So they're in a bind, in a relationship, and the binding uh, force is is karma. As I said many times, there's, there are two forces in the world, hmm, driving forces, karma and bhakti. Hmm. And there's no so there's always bhaktas in the world. There's always sadhakas in the in the world. Hmm. And there's always those under the influence of karma and different stages of it, and so on and so forth. Hmm. It's the whole 
Karma's the whole problem, right? Hmm. And it appears in stages and so on and so forth. So he says that you're you're very compassionate and your devotees have uh, affection for you and so the spirit of their their uh, their lives of devotion is that they give everything uh, to you and those acts that are done by themselves that have been done that there are repercussions for hmm, that we call karma the karmic reactions which they encounter just like the jnanis and yogis are trying to fight it out with the karma and uh, hold their breath for example for the yogis and hope it will go away stop breathing take a deep one and I won't cause any more karma or just a little bit and uh, and uh, to become a breath area in, in the cave breath is life right so if I breathe less or lightly then those reactions that were due or will gradually go away and I won't create any more or just just a little bit of breathing uh, so it's an attempt to you can understand as I'm simply kind of in a humorous way, explaining it to overcome the karma. You have to, to move in the world. You're going to create karma. It's a mind. It's a, it's a what do you call it, a minefield, right? Wherever you step, and there's going to be potential for an explosion. Every step has a reaction. So yogi's way of dealing with the karma. This is an example. They want to stop breathing, which is you have to breathe to move to live. So. Um, they want to extinguish the karma. Similarly, the jnanis, they don't want to do anything, right? They don't, no movement, the contemplative life, sit, go within, and so forth. So they're, they're very similar in that way in their approach to the problem. They see a problem and uh, they, they they try to deal with it. So as you'll see here, the devotee approach, as uh, Brahma's mentioning, is, is, is very, very different. Um, they uh, see the... Uh, Atmakritam uh, vipakam, these reactions uh, done as a result of the fruit of desires uh, in their hearts in the past, the re- and the reactions that are coming from the acts that are performed for for pursuing the fruits, they um, they tolerate them. Uh, not only they do they tolerate them, um, they. Uh, s- Look at them very differently, he says here, than the uh, than the yogis and the jnanis. They don't look at them per per se as something to get away from. Hmm? They uh, look at them as um, not being independent of their master, hmm? who's an expert teacher, hmm? and through those reactions is teaching them how to refine their devotion and ultimately come to him. And so unlike the yogis who want to stop breathing to end karma, unlike the jnanis who are waiting, who are watching and waiting for the karma to expire and then there's death, hmm? all the devotees have to do to deal with karma is to go on living, hmm? keep breathing. Hmm? as they are hmm, for Krishna, right? They're breathing and living in the world only for the service of their master. They have no other idea 
uh, or concern in mind. Hmm? And so whatever comes their way in the context of that is, is not a problem. It's just another service opportunity, hmm? something to learn from, something like that. So the example is given that if a if a if a if a, a, a son or a daughter has a rich father, hmm, then in order to become wealthy themselves, all they have to do is stay alive. Hmm. <laughs> Just stay alive, and in due course, the parents' inheritance will become yours. Hmm. So with this kind of attitude and approach to the problem, quote-unquote problem of life, which is a very positive take, if you will. Um, they stay alive, they breathe fully, and they're fully active uh, in comparison to the uh, the jnanis and the yogis. We find the Goswamis, they're very active, building temples and writing books and, and so forth, and going for kirtan and, and this type of thing. Hmm? Um, nice, uh, elaborate uh, worship of the deities, Mahaprasad, Kijai, and so forth, right? Hmm? It's very different than fasting, and uh, and Uddhava used to say, I like to quote his example, our renunciation is we wear the remnants of Krishna, which are were royal vestments in, in Dwarka. They don't dress in ashes, but they take the deity's royal clothes and, and, he put in, and, and wear those. Hmm. So on its face it looks not like renunciation, not like dealing with the problem, but creating more problem, karma action in the world, but it's action in the world driven by a different engine, a different uh, 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 perspective, right? Hmm? As servants of the master and whatever is required for that, if I have to be a bogey or a tagi, an enjoyer or an answer given circumstances for his service, then I will accept that. That's why Rupa Goswami says that um, adhikar or eligibility to tread the path of bhakti requires that one not be too disposed towards sense enjoyment, neither too disposed towards renunciation. It's the middle path. Hmm? Right? On the one hand, you have exploitation, the desire to enjoy the world for yourself, make it your own kingdom. Hmm? On the other hand, you have to try to get away from the world. You realize I couldn't control it, so let me get away from it. So this is karma and gyan. They're both worldly uh, centered, trying to take it, trying to get away from it. And bhakti and the other is, is otherworldly in the sense that it, it's about devotion to the source of, 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 of the world. And in the context of the devotion, there will be some natural giving up of things because they're not favorable for Krishna's service, no problem. And there will be things that we have to accept it may not be pleasing to our senses, but are favorable for Bhagavan service. So, we no problem. We'll do that. So this is a very different. You can understand a disposition, sensibilities on the part of the devotee and the jnani. And the devotee can therefore look like a worldly uh, person, hmm? um, as opposed to a yogi overtly looks spiritual because he doesn't breathe except once a month. You know, he must be there, or something like that. Hmm. Uh, and the example, of course, of the inhabitants of Vrindavan that Brahma's experiencing is they're very worldly, right? They're very concerned about their their cows and their land and 
and one another and, and so on and so forth. When the inhabitants of Vrindavan asked Krishna, what will we be in our next, what will our next life be? And he showed him Goloka. That's the end of the 28th chapter. Hmm. The 27th chapter, Indra comes with Sarabhi from the material Goloka hmm. uh, to uh, pacify uh, Krishna after the Govardhan Leela. Hmm. At the end of the 28th chapter, the inhabitants ask what will be their next life. That's where the real Goloka then is talked about. Hmm. Hmm. Krishna shows them, you will go there. And what do they see? Hmm. They don't see Vaikuntha and Krishna has four arms. and They see their, their, their own selves in a slightly... So it's very slightly majestic in comparison, but the same, everything's the same otherwise. So they're very happy with, with that. <clears throat> so, uh, you can see, therefore, it's very difficult to understand bhakti. Hmm? Uh, and it's very much about the, the spirit of our approach. So, um, um, this is Brahma's kind of central explanation as to the devotee's disposition in dealing with the problem in comparison to how jnanis and yogis do, but basically by saying there is no um, problem. And as a result of this attitude, he says, they inherit hmm, the, uh, the uh, muktipade, which is a, a famous a word here in uh, in the verse that um, um, comes out in the uh, conversion of the great uh, logician Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. Bhattacharya was converted by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and it's a it's a fairly long and very important uh, uh, aspect of the narrative of Gorlila in Chaitanya Charitamrita because Sarvabhoma was the really in many respects, the guru of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. Um, um, I mean, Mahaprabhu accepted him as that as one of his gurus. Uh, he was the guru of the king as well, but Mahaprabhu accepted him, even though Mahaprabhu converted him, and he offered he made beautiful prayers in praise of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu afterwards. Um, what is the verses? Those verses he composed about the charge of. Vairagya vidya nija bhakti yogam shikshartam eka purusha purana shikrishna chaitanya sharirudhari kripam budhiryastam maham prapadye There's another one too, there was two of them. The story goes something like this. Uh, chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, came to Puri, falling over himself, even just seeing the chakra at a distance on top of the temple of Jagannath, in ecstasy, he had moved ahead of his own devotees after Nityanandabhu had broken his dunda in three places and thrown it in the river, thinking, why is the supreme enjoyer, the bearer of the fruit, the flute, Krishna, have to carry the dunda, the rod of chastisement, not for chastising others, but for chastising oneself, one's body, one mind, one words, hmm? to be always engaged only in the service of Krishna. And Mahaprabhu looked at him and was internally pleased, but externally he was, I'm in my Acharya Leela now. It's a different Leela, Balaram. Hmm? Get it together here. We're teaching something here. I'm not in my Vrindavan 
forest and dark complexion. I've got a golden complexion now. In this Leela, I've incarnated in the mood of a devotee to teach, by example, how to be a devotee. Um, and my sannyas Leela is very important to the conditioned souls. Hmm? Um, it's stated in the Bhagavatam, what, that, uh, what was the verse? Lakshmi, what is it? Dharmista. Well, that's the other one, but Dharmista, but to say I got around the mess part of the verse, yeah. Chaktiva sudus, let's go to the pundits here. Chaktiva sudus, chajitzareps, taraj, lakshmi, dharmista, arya, vajasa, yadagadaranya, mayam, rigam, de, de, apes, manvadavad, bandi, mahapurushati, chadananavindu, cursed by the Brahmin, who said, can I enter into your kirtan there? Uh, I only drink milk. I live so purely. Hmm? Hmm. That's what how I sustain myself, just by drinking milk. Hmm. And um, this was Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's internal rasa kirtan at the house of Srivas. And Mahaprabhu chuckled and said, you think that by that kind of material purity alone you can enter into my world of rasa? That's not possible. So we cursed him. You'll never have a successful family life. Hmm. So, in deference to the words of the Brahmins, which must come true, hmm, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took sannyas. One of the reasons, right? Hmm. And, of course, by looking at it more extensively, Mayamrigam hmm, in doing so, he entered into the forest, means uh, he took sannyas, for the sake of us, Maya Amrigam, those who are bewildered by Maya, to chase after them. This is the whole Puri Madhya Lila that is central to Chaitanya Charitamrita. Krishnadas says, this book is about my Madhya Lila, and I've sandwiched it between the Anti Lila and the Adi Lila. The Adi Lila in my book is a, is a light piece of bread um, because there's sprouted and, uh, you know, eight grain bread in the <laughs> Chaitanya Bhagwat dealing with my Adi Leela. As far as Auntie Leela, that's a light piece also because what can you say about that? Hmm? What can you say? You have to go there. Hmm? About the inner life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. How can you teach Bhava? Hmm? Do something by which you will get Bhava. That's called sadhana. And Bhava is his own teacher. Hmm? You can say something about it. It may be useful to learn a little something theoretical, but it's just like trying to teach when when your child says, Mom, Dad, what is it when you fall in love? You have what what can you possibly say? How can you possibly explain in a way that will uh, teach that daughter to the same extent as when she just gets a crush on her, some of the, some some young young boy for the first time, then it's all it's now the beginning of the understanding of something that has no that you can't figure out, <laughs> even as you're experiencing it. What are the what are the ins and outs of that? And so and that's just in a material example, right? But to speak of the real and full face of love, that spiritual um, emotion. Bhava is uh, is about Bhava is just the the ray of the sun of of prema, hmm. so this is the world that Brahma is like 
glimpsed into with his four heads trying to figure it out and all he can really do is offer his respects and say things in praise of it and what it's not and you can't get here by that method or this method how you get here just uh, love Krishna <laughs> uh, uh, so forth so at any rate um, what was it Sarvabhoma right so uh, hmm? yeah yeah Mukti Pare so, um, uh, but, uh, pardon me? Yeah, he arrives in Puri and he, and he, he, he left, he went ahead of Nityananda Prabhu and the other small group of, uh, was going with him, um, ostensibly disturbed with Nityananda Prabhu. When he gets to the temple, of course, he has the darshan of Chaitan, of Jagannath and, Astasatvi Vikar Sudipta in the in in the most intense form these Sattvika Bhavas uncontrolled and voluntary ecstasy start to manifest in his body. And the keepers of Jagannath, they don't understand it. So they're ready to beat him, thinking this guy's coming in here rolling around on the ground and weeping and so forth. And uh Sarvabhoma of course intervenes hmm and understands he's in deep spiritual trance, takes him to his house. He's the pundit of Jagannath Puri and um, revives him and then suggests that he's such a beautiful young man. And actually, we have a family connection in, in Bengal. Hmm? I knew his father. Was it his father or his grandfather? Hmm? I knew his grandfather and here he and so. I should help him. And Gopinath, the brother-in-law of Sarvabhoma, who was a great devotee of Mapu's, you're going to help him? He's Bhagwan. And Sarvabhoma was, you devotees are also sentimental, you know. I follow the scriptures. Okay. And in Kali Yuga, there is, there is no avatar. So he's a nice devotee. <laughs> he's a nice devotee. But he's, he does not get carried away. Hmm? And then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, intervenes and says, well, why you don't want Gopinath let let Sarabhama teach me? I can learn. Hmm? I'm just a young man. I can learn from anyone. Hmm? Uh, he, he wants to help me. Hmm? Mahaprabhu's attitude. So a meeting is set up, and Sarabhama begins to enlighten Chaitanya Mahaprabhu about the significance of Vedanta, the logic of the scriptures that and this is an important kind of exercise. He used to teach this to young young sannyasins. Um, and it's important for us to... Um, uh, Radna apparently wrote something to Vrindaranya recently asking her some advice about something. About one initial you know, enthusiasm for this that may may wear off or something, how do you respond? And so she gave us an answer and Naradna asked if she could publish it. So Brindarana sent it to me, said, I don't, I don't want any publish if you don't approve it first. So I said, yeah, it sounds like good practical uh, a- 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 advice. So maybe it'll show up somewhere on Tatvivek or something. But um, what was my point there? Um, the instructions that I'm Logic of the scriptures, right? Um, so, but one thing that she didn't say that came to my mind also was that it's important. That's why we have sometimes these sessions that are ah, a lot of you got to think a lot. What's the teaching? What's the philosophy to ground the students 
in the logic of the uh, the scriptures, Shastra Yukti, because um, the problems really don't arise with the teaching, with the philosophy. They arise with our psychology hmm? and influences of the world. They don't arise from the teaching themselves. And if we separate that out, then we know I'm here because of these teachings. And, and so it's kind of grounds one, let's say, whether it's a good day or a bad day. You know, sometimes you join a spiritual group and you think everything is going to be great. And then you find there are some down days also. So it doesn't matter where you are. You would have good days and, and bad days. But it's what what's the ground you're standing on is, is what's uh, important. What, what road are you on? Where are you going? It's not that you won't be tired some days or, or thirsty. Hmm. Or the wind won't blow, or something like that. But what road are you on? Where are you going? What are you a robot, as materialism says, or are you actually different from matter? And if you are, how significant is that? And that's just a basic point. What are the prospects of consciousness? All these things are very important. They're very grounding. They don't like if you contemplate them. They don't allow you to have a bad day in one sense, or allow you to deal with them all. So in one sense, with initial enthusiasm, then we have to become a little philosophical. And why am I doing this? You know, it was fun at first. It was just, but it's also fun. But there's some work to do here too. And I see it's not going to happen tomorrow. That uh, I'm going to be, uh, you know, in, in ecstasy. And so am I in for the long haul? And there has to be. So this is when we start to use our intelligence, and we, and by this we start to come to nishta. Hmm? Faith becomes firm. Our temporary, our, our initial, I should say, and tender faith becomes tempered by reasoning based on the scripture. So Mahaprabhu, uh, Sarabhama wanted to educate Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the logic of the uh, scriptures. He's a young sannyasi, that he wouldn't be deviated by the world. He was a handsome boy of 24 years old and so forth. It was a good gesture, and he was accustomed to doing that kind of thing. And, of course, he began to explain his, give his discourse on Vedanta, but it was a certain interpretation of the Vedanta that Mahaprabhu found um, un, unpalatable and, uh, and uh, interspersed with some imagination, if you will, on the part of Sarvabhava. So anyway, you know the story, he kept silent. For seven days, and after the discourse, uh, Sarvabhama said, well, it's interesting because Krishna's gravity is shown here and that he doesn't say a word in all of Brahma's prayers. And Mahaprabhu's gravity was shown to Sarvabhama. He didn't say anything for seven days. And it just got louder and louder and louder and louder. Mahaprabhu's silence, louder and louder and louder. And it created a teaching moment. Sarvabhama thought, what is he thinking? What is he thinking? I, I've given all these great explanations and so forth. And so finally he said, well, you know, what do you think? What, what do you have to say? And at this point he's wondering, what's going on inside of him? And, and then so, again, it was a teachable moment was created and Mahaprabhu comes out and explains the errors in his understanding and he's converted in no uh, small measure. And immediately after that, getting to the point here of this verse and how it comes up in, in Chaitanya Charitamrita in Gaurilila, uh Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the very same chapter tested Sarvabhoma in terms of uh, two things. Hmm? Bhakti, by its definition, given by Rupa Goswami, uh, marginally speaking, its marginal definition is 
Gyan Karmadi Anavritam. That it is not covered by Gyan or Karma. We don't do bhakti for material results, or we don't think that we have to do something in Varnashram. And then if we don't do that, we're not dutiful with regard to that, our bhakti will be affected. Hmm? Or that by doing something in Varnashram, that lesser standard or religious path, my bhakti will be improved. Hmm? Now, bhakti is its own self, right? And it's the sarup shakti of Krishna. And similarly, gyan. I don't do bhakti for mukti, hmm? but bhakti for for its own sake. Hmm? So, um, right after the conversion of Mahaprabhu, or Mahaprabhu's conversion of Sarvabhuma, in effect, in the same chapter, the Bhattacharya is tested with regard to is his sense of bhakti covered by karma or gyan? So Mahaprabhu showed up early at his house in the morning, right after Mongol Artik, bringing the, the prasad of Jagannath to his house. And Sarvabhuma was awakened by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He said, I brought the Mahaprasad. And he immediately said, Mahaprasad Govinde, you know, like this, Nama Brahmani Vaishnava, and began honoring the prasadam. This is Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, who was a very pukka smarta. The smartas in the Advaita lineage are the group of Shankar's followers that are influenced slightly by bhakti, and they take care of Lord Jagannath. Hmm? And they're really, really, really uh, the most rule kind of oriented Brahminical uh, class and expression of uh, of, 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 of religion, um, and so you don't just get up in the morning and eat something. You got to take your bath. You got to say your prayers. Turn left. Turn up. You know, pray this way, that way, and and, and cover all your bases, and then takes. So he said, Ah, Mahaprabhu said, you've eaten and you haven't done all your uh, you know, something like that. He said, "This is Mahaprasad. This is this is bhakti." So, so he saw all oh, his bhakti is not uh, covered covered by gyan, uh, covered by, uh, by by karma. Very good. And then in the same chapter, just um, just after that, Sarvabhauma writes his verses and his two verses, and they're uh, given to Mahaprabhu on a palm leaf. He's very pleased, and he approaches uh, Sarvabhauma, the scholar, and Sarvabhauma cites this verse. He said. In his scholarship, he said, I have uh, uh, corrected the verse on the Bhagavatam, <laughs> basically what he said. Uh, and the key word here is the, uh, is the uh, muktipade. Hmm? It said that if you live, you keep breathing, hmm? only for Krishna, right? Doing his work, that I'm only doing his work, whatever comes my way. There's a couple of ways of thinking about it. Vishwanath is, of course, very extreme with his emphasis on the efficacy of bhakti. So he says, for the bhakti, there is no karma. So that's the end of the issue. Whatever happens to him, because even 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 Nama Bas does away with karma, right? Even a shadow of the name does away with karma. So whatever happening in the devotee's life that looks like karma is not karma. Hmm? It's Krishna's arrangement hmm, for him. And by way to, by which he's teaching something through him, or teaching him something, or whatever may be the case, and the devotee sees it like that, hmm? and um, 
proceeds in that way. Jiva, Sanatana, they're a little more conservative and they say, yes, the Parabdha Karma is removed, but uh, not all of it at once, enough that, uh, like the Bhagavatam says, um, was that for a third canto? Kapila Dev speaking. Yannama deha shavananu Or immediately he becomes qualified to do the Vedic rituals who has taken shelter of the name. It means who has the karma of a sudra or less can do the work, which is karma, action of a Brahmin, like Vedic rituals, just by taking the name once. That means enough of their parabdha manifest karma has been removed to qualify them for that. But there still may be some remaining parabdha that's to be dealt with in, in due course and all of which is destroyed at the time of asakti. Hmm? Uh, so here is talking about an asakti bhakta, actually. That's what the verse is about. Hmm? Gita talks about another standard of tolerance, right? That matrasparsha stukunteya situshna sukadukada adhuma paino nitastam sitikshashvabharata. Things that uh, good, bad, happy, cold, uh, happy, sad, hot, cold, uh, these are all ideas of the mind. They're readings of the world, they're relative to the mind and senses tolerate them, and he who tolerates them will uh, become liberated. Here, rather than tolerating them, the idea is we're embracing them as favorable. Hmm? So it's a higher standard, a Bhagavatam kind of standard of, of tolerance by which the love for Bhagavan has converted the problems hmm, into part of the solution. Hmm? And they're, and they're 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 no longer to speak of problems. They're they're favorable. Oh, how nice of you to treat me so badly! I've learned so well from you how not to be. Uh, and and if you really have that attitude, that person's going to learn something from you as well, and so forth. So um, it's a high standard for it. Therefore, it it pertains to an asakti devotee, a devotee who's at the last, the, penu- the penultimate, st- the last stage of sadhana bhakti, about to graduate into bhava bhakti, where actually doesn't, for sure, have the influence of karma, but all his movement is uh, under the influence, uh, gen- uh, driven by, by spiritual emotion. Hmm? It's also uh, corresponds with what Bhakti Thakur is talking about in his Shikshastakam, which is nishta, which is the beginning of the upper upper stages of sadhana bhakti. Hmm? When he says that one should be tolerant like a tree, and the Thakur explains this tolerance to extend to uh, compassion um, for others. Hmm? He compares the, compa- the uh, tolerance that we should have like that of a tree that stands it gives protection from the wind, even when the wind comes, and if you cut it down, it gives you shade, even when you do so. It doesn't complain. Hmm. Um, oh, it's again, it's it's the beginning. Like we say, Nistad culminates in Asakti of turning the world into a favorable environment. This is the paraphrase translation of this verse that was given by Sridhar Maharaj. That um, the world, the environment is friendly. Hmm. 
you see how different this perspective is from the jnani or the karmi's point of view. The environment is not friendly. Hmm? Hold your breath. Even the air is problematic that you, that you breathe. Hmm? And the devotees are breathing heavily and dancing <laughs> and so forth. It's a very different approach. So, at any rate, Sarvabhama cites this verse to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, I've, I've corrected a verse in the Bhagavatam. Mahaprabhu was looking at him like, you corrected a verse in the Bhagavatam? What are you talking about? The verses are perfect. He said, well, it says here that you act like this and you will get mukti. And who wants mukti when the goal is bhakti? Mukti is completely undesirable. He's thinking of mukti in the in the general idea, in terms of the general idea that comes to people's mind who are familiar with the term and familiar with varnashram, which is about dharma, artha, kama, and moksha. Hmm? Quietly in the background, right? He left. He's gone. He left the world. Hmm? It's the goal, but let's not talk about it because... We got family and friends, and we could go to heaven for a long time, and we'll, we'll get there someday, and so forth. So, uh, and this mukti, then idea within that, for example, of the of the the uh, Brahmins, the religious manifestation of the Advaita Vedanta mystics. Uh, like I say that Sarvabhum was a member of the what was the term for them? Smartas, the Smartas. Uh, for them, mukti means Brahmasayuja merging into Brahman. And there's no bhakti there. Hmm? It's not made up of the Sarup Shakti <laughs> Brahman. It is a, it is a, a particular uh, indeterminate manifestation of of Krishna, subordinate to him. Hmm? Indeed, in the Svachetana Mahaprabhu taught Sarvabhoma, Mukti is subordinate to Krishna. So he what Sarvabhoma did was change the word from mukti pade to bhakti pade. Hmm? They will attain bhakti at the feet of Krishna, hmm? feet of the, of the Godhead. And Mahaprabhu said, you can't change the words of the Bhagavatam, although inside he, I, I see he's converted also. He had, his bhakti is not um, covered by jnana, hmm? by a desire for mukti, bhakti for mukti, but bhakti for bhakti. So it's not covered by jnana or karma. He's completely converted. Sarvabhava Mahaprabhu was very happy. But, he said, you can't change the word in the Bhagavatam. So let me explain it to you in a way that you haven't thought about. Hmm? And uh, so he explained, of course, in the Bhagavatam, there are ten subjects. Hmm? Nine of them are ashrita, sheltered. One of them is the ashray, the shelter giving. Of the nine, one of them is mukti. Mukti is sheltered under the asharai, and the asharai is Krishna. So, mukti, pade here, means that one will attain hmm, Krishna, who is who gives shelter to mukti. Hmm? One will, by this attitude being described, you will attain, you will inherit the right to enter the kingdom of God, as Prabhupada, I think, translates it. Hmm? It will be your rightful claim. Hmm? You can breathe your way in there, right? And... Uh, and what is that place? It, it is the place that is the shelter of mukti. That uh, maha, 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 maha kalpur. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. There. That is the uh, that is the the, the world of the, the Brahma. What is his name? Gopakumar saw mukti come. 
I will devour you, I will swallow you, everything will be peaceful. We try to avoid that. That place is, as also mentioned in the Gita Brahmanohi Patishtaham, that Brahman is under me. It's the same thing, Mukti Pade. So Sarvama said, oh, how I couldn't get that from the verse. Again, you're teaching me. Very good. Hmm? So this is um, um, a beautiful uh, story in how this verse plays out in Chaitanya Charitamrita with uh, emphasis on Bhakti being and Krishna being the shelter of Mukti. So you can get... Uh, Bhakti can give Mukti, but Mukti unto itself... Uh, in an impoverished sense of Sayuja Mukti, doesn't give bhakti. And there's no hope for bhakti in that position, practically speaking. Therefore, it's very undesirable from the devotee's point of view, even though it's a liberated position. And that's what Sarvam was reeling against. I don't want to get devoured by mukti. That's terrible. Hmm. So he was taught, no, that's not what the verse is saying. Mahaprabhu taught, this is a very nice devotional uh, verse. And Brahma cited it here as a explaining the very kind of attitude with which the devotee um, deals with the, the problem of material existence, ends the problem. Any question? <laughs> yes? Well, there's living entities that were devotees in their past life and they come into this life and um, like we don't know they're devotees yet, but um, would they be divinely protected by Krishna because they've already been devotees and they're just kind of going to take it up eventually? Or, you know, like, how would you think about that? Like, because you did talk about how... Yeah, sure. Um, they're marked people. They're... Yeah. Yeah, in a good way. Right. Yeah. Well, Krishna makes statements even, like that. If our kids kind of fall away, we can think they're still divinely protected by Krishna. You, you, you can think that they are um, um, not orphans. Do you understand? What's the difference between an orphan boy and the son of a king? They both may be living in the street if the son of the king ran away from home. Hmm? They may look exactly the same. Hmm? But, but, but the prince is a prince. Hmm? And it will come out in due course. Hmm? When the king dies, they'll have to find him, and he'll he'll be sitting on the throne hmm? without doing anything. That's that's the that's the analogy that's given here. It's uh, he, he's become your children become heirs. Now that said, you may be an heir to a treasure, but you can't get it until you're mature. Hmm? But still, it's there for you. So both things, you have to mature, and then you come of age, and then the trust says, okay, you know, you, you can be trusted. <laughs> you can spend it. It's yours. You will, not, you will not waste it. Something like that. So, yeah, a little devotion is not, uh, not lost. They get bhakti samskar, they're born in devotees' families. Now, you know, those type of statements are made, and they're true, but the implication of them also for us is that bhakti is so generous like this, so what to speak if we apply ourselves? What would be the results? And those who think like that, they become gopas and gopis. Hmm? And those others that don't, they will do that in due course, but it might take them some time. But when you're living in eternity, then 
It's not a, you know, you don't have to wait too long. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, there's a kind of a sense they're here already. Just haven't they just haven't manifest yet. Their bhakti is is kind of in the, you know, incubating something like that. Does that help? Do well. Uh, when we speak of gyan and sambandha gyan, I believe that uh, it would be helpful if uh, I had a little clarification because we we spoke of not pursuing jnana uh, as a means to the bhakti end, but there is sambandha jnana which must yeah. be pursued. There's a difference. So sambandha jnana is part of bhakti. So bhakti is not without knowledge. I often say bhakti is pregnant with knowledge. When Krishna says in the Gita, I'm going to teach you about the king of knowledge, Rajavidya, what does he teach him about in that ninth chapter? Bhakti. That's what the chapter is about, Ananya Bhakti. It ends with Manmana Bhava Mad Bhakto Madhyaji Guru. So the Gyan that's being spoken of, that it refers to the for the path of Gyan, in which there is the culture of the knowledge of the oneness between Brahman and the Jiva, Brahma Aikya Jiva, that kind of knowledge, and. The, the cultivation of that and the longing for that, which is called mukshatva, this is central to the path of gyan. Mukshatva, there's a longing to merge with Brahman. You don't want that, and that type of knowledge hmm, that is central to the path of of gyan and the cultivation of it, Rupa Goswami says, and the corresponding vairagya that. It comes out of it, right? If you have knowledge that I am not this body, I am in, I have a likeness to Brahman, I am consciousness, I should merge with Brahman, this is my ideal. Um, things of this world, by extension, are temporary, by contrast, are, are temporary. I am eternal, there's bliss in the self, and in Brahman, if I want enduring happiness, I'm an enduring unit of consciousness. I shouldn't pursue it in relation to things that don't endure. So the knowledge has a... Just like Shraddha has an outer expression of Sharanagati. Faith hmm, expresses itself in the practical angas, limbs of Sharanagati accepting things that are favorable to Krishna's service, rejecting things that are unfavorable. We see the faith in the external manifestation. Similarly, we see the jnana in the jnani through his vairagya, through her detachment, which is cultivated. So you have this very um, difficult path of overtly cultivating um, renunciation. Hmm? And not being attached to anything because it's going to disappear in due course anyway. And not just going to cause me a problem. So you have to cultivate detachment overtly. So jnana and vairagya, they're corollaries. And Rupa Goswami says, jnana and vairagya, referring to this path that the common people see as this is what spirituality is all about. He says they're not angus or limbs of the body of bhakti. Hmm. 
as big as they are, you know, in this other school and important, they're not because in bhakti, it's it, in the context of bhakti, atma jnana comes of its own, renunciation comes in the in the in the in the in respect to if you love someone, you give up things that aren't pleasing to that person. So he calls it yukta vairagya. It's a different kind of vairagya. Again. Uddhava was wearing the vestments of Krishna. And he said, "This is our Bhairagya, shaking his, you know, making faces at the jnanis who are wearing ashes." He says, "We dress up like this." The implication is, we are servants of Krishna. Whatever his hand-me-downs are, we wear. Hmm? That's our renunciation. It's easy on the surface. It's comfortable, even, hmm? and flashy. Hmm? But on the inside. It's a serving ego. The jnani wants to give up the enjoying ego, but he doesn't want to take up the serving ego. Oh, I don't know about that. That sounds like I was just doing, serving my senses. It was problematic. I want to rest. I don't want to serve. But serving ego is the real solution to the enjoying ego. So the serving ego is, is harder in that sense. To embrace, but it's it's a user friendly kind of path, nonetheless. So, so that said, that kind of knowledge we're not preoccupied with that. Of course, now Jiva Goswami, Rupa Goswami makes the statement in a country and a culture in which these things are understood, and everybody believes in reincarnation, and the theory that you're not the body is is pervades, and it's a, it's kind of a given. In our modern culture, it's far from a given. Hmm? Right, so in order to teach about bhakti, we may have to emphasize a little bit, like Prabhupada did, that you're not the body, and a little bit of difference between you know uh, the qualitative oneness between Atman and Brahman, something like that. Hmm? So he would emphasize that in a way um, that uh, in a different culture didn't have to be emphasized, was kind of a given. Hmm? That said, the the gyan. The knowledge that we do culture is knowledge of what it means to serve Krishna, knowledge of of how things are related to Krishna. What is the relationship between the Maya Shakti and Krishna, between the Atma and the, and Maya Shakti, and uh, so it's a different kind of knowledge about the form of Bhagwan, for example. Your whole Bhakti Sandarbha. Hmm, this is some again about the nature, knowledge about the nature of the object. Of love, so that the samandagyan is part of bhakti. Bhakti isn't without um, knowledge. It, it, it's a, it's what's the term? It's wise love. Hmm? Right? It's wise love. Hmm? There's wisdom underneath it. So something like that. That's that's the difference. So and the cultivation of samandagyan is the is an exercise. For our intellect, in the context of of applying it, in the service of, of Bhagwan, so we come here and that's what we're doing. We're exercising our intellect for in the service of Krishna, hmm? and it helps us. Does that help? Yes. Can I ask one follow-up question? Yeah. Uh, in the context of. Of, of understanding and applying that, how does one take care not to 
commit the offense because it's all presented in the Veda to the holy name of, you know, not having full appreciation for all the paths that are presented in the Vedic knowledge. Uh huh. Well, uh, um, uh, whenever you are speaking about Gyan, for example, in relation to Bhakti, making comparisons, well, those comparisons are there in the scripture. Hmm? Um, and we acknowledge that there may be people who have Gyan Samskara and have eligibility for that, and Brahma Sayuja is, is a transcendental goal. It's just not something from our point of view that's desirable. But we don't, but we, we like the verse in the Bhagavatam, Muktir Hitvanita Rupam Svarupena Vavastiti. When Mukti, one of the one of the ten subjects of the Bhagavatam, one of the nine sheltered subjects is described, Bhagavatam says, Muktir Hitvanita Rupam Svarupena Vavastiti. If you study the word, you see, it means that Mukti is one of the subjects of the Bhagavatam. It is of two types, basically, with form and without form. Hmm? So the without form is a, is a, is a viable option, but the f- with form is more desirable, and there's more possibility of bliss with a form than without a form is the idea. And Bhagavatam is kind of making a comparison. So I think that we 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 only um, critique Gyan Marg in relation to Bhakti. With a view to create eligibility uh, or through faith in bhakti, but but we acknowledge it. It is a transcendental path, and someone wants to go to Brahma Sayuja, and that's what they want. You know, mm, go for it. You know, it's not. We don't say good riddance, but you know, we don't say we'll see you later either. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Different, but yeah, this is a special one. We're in it. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's come. That's that's enough. You know, we know there are other ones there. They're over here. They're over there. They say. Yeah, but uh, yes, you had a question. Yeah, this, uh, I was reading this past time in Chaitanya Bhagavat this morning, and one one little nugget that I hadn't missed before was that Sarvabhauma actually threw himself on Lord Chaitanya's back to protect him from the beating from the. The guards are oh, wow. Wow, wow, that is so... Chaitanya Bhagavad, it says. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. Sarva Bhoma Bhattu Charja Ki Jai. Oh, that's very beautiful. Oh. Just a, a question about, you know, different commentaries. You know, we know that generally the, they're writing for a particular audience. So, this 
you're saying is we're writing from a kind of an Alsaki perspective on this, uh, you know, in a lot of these verses, you know, it's that. So who was his audience that he was writing to? Well, Bishop Nachak Wadidagwa was trying to um, encourage people to take to bhakti, so he just, he, he just very heavy on the efficacy of bhakti, and, and, um, and, uh, that's just uh, his nature, and uh, but he's he's writing for the people of the time to take to bhakti. Hmm. Um, it's uh, it's you know you could look at it a little like Jiva Goswami Sanatan, kind of in like a needle, out like a plow. You could look at it like that in terms of Vishnu. He's a hundred, two hundred years later, or so early, uh, I think, seventeenth uh, century. Uh, well, it's the time of, of, of Vishwanath, um, mid 1600s or something like that. Anyway, so um, I guess may, may, you know I can we can make a conjecture. Maybe he felt more um, the lineage being as established as it was, and so forth, and having a following. To speak about ways uh, uh, in terms of bhakti's efficacy that that others couldn't at the time because it was just way too much to digest to say that just just once chanting all your karma is gone but nobody take you seriously you know in a, in a smart environment and so, um, and then again he could be overemphasizing the you know the the, the case as, as as well um, as a preaching strategy. <laughs> uh, but you know, you have the uh, 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 you see some slight differences. There's differences in time, and and you can only make a conjecture as to why. But there's more than why they did why they said what they did, or why they why they said. But more than one right way to you know explain a verse. And it seems like certain psychologies are going to be more drawn, even you know, in today's world, some of us are more drawn towards one commentary and somebody else. You know, yeah. It's very interesting to me, like how we are drawn to different commentaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to get a uh, psychological. Yes. You got one to ten. He's a one. He's a ten. He's a jiva. He's a sanata. He's a vishvanatha. Born in sixteen twenty-six. Yeah. Yeah. So late, early eighteenth century. Uh, life extended to. Alright, so we'll stop there. Gantaraj Srimad Bhagavata Ki Jai, Kartik Vrata Ki Jai, Gauradam Adhava Ki Jai, Gauri Vashnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande. Jai.